Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talked to Brett Martin, the co-founder and president of Kumo Space, a virtual office platform that helps remote teams to collaborate in real time. In 2020, Brett was running a venture capital fund and hosting monthly in-person networking events. When the pandemic hit, he was forced to use Zoom for these events, which he felt wasn't a great experience and kept thinking to himself that there had to be a better way. So when longtime friend and former co-founder Yang said he wanted to launch a new startup, Brett suggested solving this video meeting problem and initially advised on the concept. After seeing early traction, Brett soon joined as a co-founder. They launched in the middle of the pandemic and quickly attracted hundreds of thousands of users. And when they started charging money the following year, their revenue skyrocketed to over a million dollars in ARR in just two and a half months. But their celebrations were short-lived. Churn spiked to 40% in a month as customers used the product more for one-off events than daily work so had little reason to renew their subscription. This crisis forced the founders to make a tough call, and they ended up scrapping their initial model, losing much of their revenue, and pivoted to a virtual office platform. But growing revenue was much slower and tougher this time around. However, fast forward to today, Kumo Space serves millions of users, generates seven figures in ARR, with a team of just 16 people, and has raised $25 million in funding. In this episode, you'll learn what led Brett and Yang to pivot their business models so drastically, despite their rapid initial success, how they've successfully used TikTok to acquire customers, and how they've been able to gain more traction from it than traditional B2B channels, how the founders have integrated product-led and sales-led strategies and figured out the best timing for sales involvement, We also talk about how influencer marketing has helped them with cost-effective B2B customer acquisition at scale, and why living inside your own product is critical for founders to identify friction as well as opportunities. So I hope you enjoy it. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to Jotform Tables. Jotform Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in Jotform Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing Jotform forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. Jotform Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with Jotform tables for free today at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. 
Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. Brett, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Do you have a favorite quote, something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? I, I think that uh, there's plenty of inspiration and adrenaline in startups. So one thing I try to remember is uh, one of my favorite quotes is um, we have to learn to want what we have, not have what we want. And so, you know, there's ups and there's downs and it's easy to take it personally. And, and uh, you know, I think sometimes we just have to be grateful for uh, what, what we have. So let's talk about Kumo Space. Tell us what does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem you're helping to solve? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Kumo Space is a unified communications platform for built for remote and distributed teams. So the idea is that you have all of your people and all of their conversations and they're all in one place. And so um, every day people get up, they enter Kumo space and there they have uh, essentially it's like all in one Slack plus Zoom plus Loom plus uh, Otter. It's kind of like if you think about like what HubSpot is to your sales and marketing stack for SMBs, Kumo Space is that for your communication stack and focused on remote teams. Can, can you give us a sense of the size of the business? Where are you in terms of revenue, number of customers, size of team? We've got a few million users. Uh, we launched in, in 2020 and um, we are, you know, Seven-figure business again, which uh, I guess we'll get to that. We were uh, we got to a million in ARR in two and a half months the first time around, and then immediately had to throw away that business and start again. Happy to talk about that. We also we're we're only sixteen people, uh, trying to keep it as lean as lean as possible. And I think you've raised twenty-five million dollars to date. Yeah, we're we're really lucky. We had a bold start. Uh, ventures from New York City um, at Sim and Elliot as our uh, seed investors that are old friends of ours. And, and then we um, had Lightspeed with Paul Murphy lead our Series A. So the business was founded in 2020. I want to start with like where the idea came from, but maybe can you just tell us like what were you doing at the time? Because you you, you do a lot of stuff and you've got a lot of plates spinning. So uh, what were you doing back then? And then sort of where did this idea come from? Yeah, so um, I think you're, you're alluding to, I, I also run a New York-based pre-seed seed stage venture capital fund called Charge Ventures. We write sort of 250, $750 million checks into companies just getting off the ground, really focused on New York City. And um, I had been running that with my partner, Chris Sabachi since 2015. And so uh, that's still going. We actually investing out of our third fund out. But uh, it was, you know, it was 2020. The pandemic had just hit. 
I was doing a million Zoom calls a day and I was thinking to myself, like, there has got to be something better than Zoom. If Zoom is the end of um, communications, then it's a very bleak future indeed. And and so uh, I used to run a um, basically a monthly in-person networking event uh, for Charge. And the idea was to get a bunch of, uh, you know, middle-aged farts together and you know, share deal flow and, you know, angel investing opportunities. And when the pandemic hit, everyone said, you know, oh, why don't you bring that online? And I was like, well, I don't really want to give a Zoom presentation to 50 of my friends every month. That sounds pretty terrible. And so kind of realized that, wait, this is kind of weird. It's And even in 2020, there was no technology that enabled multiple people to congregate in real time online and have multiple different conversations in the same place. And so my co-founder at Kumo Space, this guy Yang Mao, we've been friends for over a decade. He engineer, went to Princeton. We had built two companies together. So he built the Android app at uh, my first company, Sonar. And then uh, we were co-founders at a uh, second company, Switch. And then um, he was just quitting Oscar. He'd run all tech, um basically consumer-facing technology at Oscar Health, which is a billion-dollar insurer, tech-based insurer out of New York City. And he was quitting in the middle of the pandemic, and he was sick of it. He was like, going to start a new company. And I was like, well, here's this problem. People can't meet online in real time and have multiple conversations in the same place, same time. You know. And then he said, oh, okay. Two weeks later, he came back with the prototype. And um, you know, as a VC, I see a lot of nascent technology, you know, and usually you have to kind of squint at it really hard and say, well, maybe if it had this, or maybe if it, um, you know, had a million users on it, there might be something more interesting here. But in the prototype that Yang built, which was, you know, a very bare bones version of Kuru Space, it was just pure audio. It didn't even have video at the time. We could tell that there was something about this idea of spatial audio, which was this idea that, you know, if you're in proximity to each other in virtual space, you can hear each other. And if you're not, you can't, which is sort of how physical spaces work. And so, you know, at the time, Yang was just going to run in and I was happy he was going to have the idea. And then I was advising and then I was going to angel invest and then I was going to invest from the fund and then the fund was going to lead. And then, you know, right before things already had traction and it was moving, Yang's like, you know, why don't you just get more, really more involved? And so I felt very honored and was excited to do it because, um, it had been 10 years since I had built a company and this was the first opportunity that got me excited enough to get back off the bench uh, for, and get back into the arena as an entrepreneur. So you mentioned earlier that you you guys got to the first million in ARR in what was it, like two, two and a half months. How much later did that happen from the time that Yang had built this initial demo? or prototype. And and secondly, I want to dig into like, how did you get that kind of growth in, in just a couple of months? Yeah, we yeah, built the prototype in May. Uh, we launched it, started, you know, I think we first started discussing it in May. And we, you know, launched it to the market in August. So pretty quickly afterward. And it just started growing organically. You know, that's the nice part. It was inherently viral product. People would share it. They were meeting. It was also during pandemic. No one had anything to do. So they're all excited about new things to explore online. And um, we raised our seed round that fall, basically, kind of um, Thanksgiving 
uh, time frame. So pretty quick, you know, uh, the Pulsar guys I had known for 10 years. I'd always wanted to work with them, but they were really, you know, great guys, very well respected seed investors. And, um, you know, frankly, at the time, Kumasus wasn't even a SaaS product. I mean, it was really a consumer application. I mean, you know, we had weddings in Kumo space, we had wakes in Kumo space, we had graduations and college recruiting and people were using it as offices and uh, lectures and I mean, all over the place. So they, we just picked them because they were very, we know that they're the most founder friendly investors in New York. And so then we built that next year and uh, kind of, we really figured out customer, acqu- uh, customer acquisition by the summer we we and happy to share about that, but we, you know we had we noticed we had a huge uptick in traffic one day, and we were like, "Where is that coming from?" Like, "Oh, that came from TikTok." Wow, that's kind of weird. How do we replicate that? And so anyway, we figured out customer acquisition. We were kind of growing, and we were growing, adding hundreds of thousands of MAUs a month. And um, at that point, that was going into fall, and we kind of realized, well, let's throw in the afterburner, and you know, while we're hyperscaling, let's turn our revenue. And so we turned our revenue and. You know, yeah, in two and a half months, we were over a million ARR. And that's, you know, when we fundraised, you know, everything was up and to the right. I think there's always a bit of a gambit when you're trying to fundraise, right? Because we sort of saw the big customer acquisition figured out and we stepped on the gas and we just started investing. And, you know, we had early raised $3 million seed round, but we started, you know, at one point we were spending $80,000 a month on customer acquisition to you know to scale which is kind of scary at the the, the time but you know that's how you do it and uh the problem was that we didn't even see it is that we turned on a subscription product and people were using us to host virtual events as particularly at the end of that year in q4 2021 and um they were hosting a lot of holiday parties in Kumo space. And the problem was, is that it was an episodic use case. It was not a, it was not a daily use case. And so as fast as the revenue came, so, so came the churn with, with, with and crazy fury. I mean, I think we churned, it was like 40% churn or something in a month. And so we thought about keep growing because we figured out the growth mechanism, but we were like, what is the point? You know? So we actually, ended up having to, we shut down the events business, you know, a few months later, and then sort of pivoted the business into the, you know, what, what we call virtual office uh, business that, that we have today, which is basically, you know, a productivity suite for remote and distributed teams. But that that, that definitely sucked. <laughs> One, the, the first thing I want to understand is like, you're, you, you get to a point where you've hit seven figures and you can see that there is a potential problem, which is getting bigger and bigger with this, you know, like you said, like this episodic use. How easy or hard was it to make the decision to pull the plug and say, we're gonna do a reset? I imagine that most founders, especially if this is their first time, that's gonna be an incredibly, incredibly difficult decision to make. So was it? just as hard for you or do you guys feel like because this wasn't the first time you were building a company maybe you kind of had a cooler heads and were more rational about the decision i don't know i want to just understand that a bit more the the problem is that initially when you're growing that fast you don't actually um 
you can't actually tell. Like the churn is hidden at first is, is part of the problem. So we didn't even notice it immediately, right? Because we were growing so fast that the fact that some people were churning was not, it was not obvious, right? It was, you know, it was, took a couple of months to realize like, oh, okay. And, you know, we we're pretty nascent. We were just, we just launched, we, you know, the, the, all the metrics weren't as tidy as they should have been. And, um, or as, you know, they eventually will get to. But, but I think once the chart came, it was pretty obvious. I mean, I, I don't even know how business like, you know, hop in, how they keep pushing on growth. I mean, they must have had just such demand that they, you know, could ignore the churn and then keep growing. But it's, you know, when, when your bucket is, it doesn't even have a floor in it. You know, if you're, if you're trying to, if you're trying to bring water back home with, with a cylinder, um, it's going to be pretty tricky. So I think for us, we had the balance sheet and, you know, we were also lucky to have very supportive investors. I mean, I think they realized these guys, you know, Paul Murphy is an entrepreneur himself. He built and sold a company called Dots and Gaming, which is like very focused on, you know, customer acquisition and retention. And I think he, you know, he knows well enough that like there was no, that was a game of finding someone to hold the bag, right? You know, the only way that would have worked is a quick flip. And that was not what any of us were in it for. So I think as soon as we realized the problem, it became pretty obvious that we had to do something else. So you you, you go back to the drawing board and you said you, you talked about this kind of this virtual office. Was this like mainly like a positioning thing or, or did you have to like fundamentally change the product? Well, so what happened was we actually were going to have, we had been a fully remote company and we were scheduled to have our first company offsite. And, you know, we we're all going to meet in person. Maybe there was 10 of us at the time. And uh, we were already very excited about it. It had been, you know, a year and almost two years into the company. And um, this is right after we raised the money. And um, we, everyone got COVID, <laughs> everyone got Omicron. And so we were like, well, that's a bummer. But, you know, luckily we were very well positioned to throw a virtual offsite because, you know, we build virtual bed software. Um, And uh, so we threw a virtual offsite and we sent out a survey to the team beforehand. And we said, you know, what do you like about working in Kumo space? What do you hate about working in Kumo space? And so what they said they liked, they were like, we love working remotely. We love the flexibility it adds for our lives. We love our team. You know, we love shipping code, you know, shipping code, uh, building fast and, you know, moving fast, bringing things. And what do we hate? Well, we uh, find cross-departmental collaboration and communication really challenging. And we don't know our coworkers as well as we wish we did. And we don't know, you know, it's hard to know who's around. And we kind of realized we had this sort of stupid epiphany moment where we said, wow, we have all the same problems as every other remote company out there in the world. And we make virtual event software. And so we said, you know what? We're just going to live in the product. We're going to literally live in Kumo space. And so then we just started dogfooding it. And that worked out pretty well because we immediately realized, okay, well, here are all the problems to using Kumo space as a virtual office. And so that was the first six months of, um, 2022 was just kind of like building table stakes, which is like, you know, doors, which enable 
uh, privacy, private conversations and, you know, statuses. So, you know, you know, if someone's going to be there at their desk or not, or, or available and, you know, kind of table stake stuff. And, and that's actually how we kind of transformed the product was by, you know, ma- forcing ourselves to use it in, in a certain way. Got it. Okay. So you mentioned TikTok as, as um, an acquisition channel and it, it kind of made sense when you were talking about the first version of the product and kind of being very consumer focused and, you know, people doing weddings and whatever. But is TikTok still a, a growth channel for, for you today with the, with the product as it is? Yeah. So this is actually funny because we um, have experimented with a bunch of different. So what, okay. So what happened initially was we um, were monitoring our traffic and we had this crazy spike in traffic and we realized, oh, wow we went viral on TikTok. We said, oh, well, what if we can manufacture that? So, you know, influencer marketing, we got some influencers and we realized, well, like this works, but it's really labor intensive to just be finding, reaching out to a bunch of influencers, negotiating with them, signing them up, getting them papered, getting them to create the content that we want, inspecting that, post, getting them to post that content, following up and then, you know, paying people, right? And so we were like, wow, we don't, we actually need some tooling to do this. And so we, um, not one of our portfolio companies that charge is called Grin and they're a CRM for influencer marketing that basically helps that whole process that I just described. So we started using them and we were able to scale up our influencer marketing from, you know, maybe five posts a month to I think at one point we're doing 60 or 70 with, you know, one person managing it. And, um, what what we realized is we had tried advertising, you know, on LinkedIn and LinkedIn ads, and that's where you would think about doing marketing. But what we what we realized is that everyone's on TikTok. Like it's the same people. The same people are using TikTok and LinkedIn. It's just the only difference is that buying that, getting in front of that person on TikTok is a tenth of the cost as it is on LinkedIn. Right. And so, you know, we had all these prospective customers, CEOs of, you know, SMBs and startups and VPs at big companies. And they were saying, you know, say, where do you find us? And they'd say, oh, they're you know, on social media. But they didn't want to, they didn't want to say TikTok, but they were on TikTok. And so we realized it's like, well, if you can just create content for that audit person on TikTok, you know, you it's, I, I think we think of it as like B to C to B to B to C to B marketing, right? Like you get in front of that consumer and then they bring you into their business. And so that's, I think, something that a lot of, we're coaching a lot of our uh, portfolio companies in charge on how to use that technique. I think it's pretty effective. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupos has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos that's sasclub.io slash b-o-o-p-o-s sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with bupos.com okay so two questions about that that's like super interesting number one is like what type of content 
were you creating that actually worked on TikTok? It's going to be very different to the kind of thing that I imagine you would you would try on LinkedIn. And secondly, how do you target these people? Like on LinkedIn, it's pretty easy, right? You can target by company, by job, by whatever. But how do you do that on TikTok? So it's funny. It's kind of like the answer is the other question. So I'll do the latter first. So you don't need, so you target by based on the content that you create. So you create work content, you create interesting content about work or, you know, because if you're a professional, you know, you can laugh at a a joke about the office or about your Zoom culture, uh, you know, anywhere, right? Like it's just uh, black humor for a lot of us uh, desk jockeys. And so we would create, you know, content with people with, with about, you know, working about the ridiculousness of it or, or all just about the productivity of Kumo Space or about it as an alternative to being in the Brady Bunch box of Zoom. So we would just create that content. And it's nice because Kumo Space is a video chat product that's a big part of our our product. And so the video nature of our product showed really well on TikTok, right? Because it's it's a video medium and we have a video product if i told you what a virtual office is it's pretty hard you're like what is a virtual office i don't know but i can show you on video very easily so there was a very nice product channel fit right i don't think people think about that enough which is like okay what is the right channel that my product shows off its best attributes in? so we're a video-based product that's an advantage over us google space is far more interesting and engaging product than most SaaS products. Most SaaS products probably wouldn't show well on video, right? But Kumo Space does. So it was a way for us to actually express the product way better than we could in a sales call or, or in an email. So I think there's great print product channel fit there. And then in terms of targeting, that's the nice part about TikTok, right? Because everyone's like, oh, you know, do you have to have the right influencers or do you, you know, get the right audience? Well, that's not how TikTok works, actually. TikTok works by having the For You page, which is perfectly algorithmically generated. And it's based on what that type of content that user likes, right? So if the user is engaging with work or focused content, right? TikTok will get our work focused content if it's good in front of them. We don't have to worry about that. I didn't realize that. So it's in in many ways, it's like what you just said at the start of this. It's like the targeting is really about creating the right type of content and just letting the algorithm take care of the rest. It's, it's very counterintuitive because I think a lot of people my age, right, you know, millennials, they are so stuck in this like social network kind of mindset. And they're like, oh, it's about, you know, their followers and who their fan, you know, who their followers and their fans. Like, well, TikTok doesn't care. Yeah, yeah that's super interesting. Okay, so you mentioned also earlier about the, you know, the tailwinds with with the time around COVID and and people going crazy and looking for all kinds of tools and then how that helped you grow the first version of of Kumo Space. When you kind of went out with this this virtual office product, I'm, I think it was probably like on the timeline, like probably late twenty twenty two. I'm guessing. And probably things are changing, right? I mean, things are sort of calming down. People are doing maybe a little less online. Some people are starting to head back to the office. How did that affect you guys? 
obviously we launched and we had the full tailwind of pandemic, right? Everyone, you know, all the internet stocks were getting pulled forward and, uh, you know, every, we realized so much was possible, right? I think before the pandemic, you realized, wow, I can run my whole business off, you know, online. That, that's crazy. I would have never expected that would, to be possible. And then sort of people were surprised at the upside. And I think a couple of years into it, everything was working, but there's kind of this nagging feeling from a lot of people, you know, that maybe something wasn't working or there was kind of a long-term cost of running your business, you know, fully remote, right? And so you have all these kind of managers that uh, have nice houses uh, by the office in the nice part of town that we're bringing everyone back to the office. Oh, we missed the office. You know, we missed miss the, the brainstorming or the, you know, conviviality of the office. And, you know, I missed the visibility of seeing my team and the mentorship that young people have when they can see their boss and get connected with them and the quick collaboration that you can have when you can tap someone on the shoulder and get an answer to your question and, you know, the culture that, you know, you can create when you're having multiple interactions with people over the course of the day, right, across your organization. And so in 2023, I think it was like, okay, we're going back. It's return to the office. And so 2023 is all about this narrative about return to the office, which obviously was challenging for, for Kumo space, right? Because, you know, if they're returning to the office, why do I need this, this tool? And so, I'm happy to report that, uh, at least for us, that uh, that didn't happen. So, you know, 2023 was all about people trying to return to the office. Turns out that didn't happen. You know, commercial real estate utilization is still 50% of what it was pre-pandemic, and it's stubbornly not not budging. People are working, you know, still working from home 30%, 40% of the time. You have, the you know, hybrid arrangements, which... It turns out that people, you know, one of the reasons people are so productive during the pandemic is because it's an indisputable fact that people get more, they work longer and they get more IC work done during when they're working from home, right? Because they're not bothered by, you know, people all day, every day, and they don't have the commute. So they end up, you know, working from their desk, you know, at different hours, different times. And um, so what, what I think everyone realized is like, oh crap, they're not going back to the office. And so Actually, at the tail end of last year, people started realizing, oh, or, you know, this isn't happening. Maybe I should just actually fix the problem instead of trying to just revert time back to what it was. And so we actually had, you know, our best quarter ever in Q4 23, I think, because people kind of realized, okay, we actually have to get some dedicated tooling and technology that solves the problems uh, other than just forcing everyone back into this suboptimal solution and putting them back into a box. But but to your question earlier, you know, I, I, you actually were saying, hey, you know, was it hard to make this decision to cut this business, right, when we had churn? Well, that wasn't hard because it was very obvious. What was what far more challenging was, you know, the second half of this year where it was like, crap, like, you know, is this even a thing? Is, you know, is, is remote work going to be a thing at all? Particularly when all the headlines were saying everyone's going back to the office. That was a much more difficult decision and having belief that like, you know what, I we know that this is better. We know that this is a better solution, even if people, you know, had been hesitant to try it beforehand because they thought everything was going to go back to where it was. We, you know, that that took actually discipline to, to stay the course. Yeah. So what, what do you think? I mean, I mean, obviously, I know you may be a little biased about this, but what do you think the future of remote looks like in in the next few years is like? Are we still going to have companies and managers like trying to get people back into the offices or 
or are we kind of getting to the point now where people are just accepting that this is the new reality and and you know maybe some companies like such as yours you know you might be 100% remote and others are going to be more of a hybrid type you know situation and you need to you need to kind of plan and optimize for both rather than you know expecting everybody to be in the office 100% of the time yeah i, I- I, there's no, there's no going back to nine to five, five days a week. I, it's just not happening. Like people appreciate and value the, the flexibility far too much. And so the problem is that you know your best employees are the ones that can and will work from anywhere when it, when they want to, right? So you know if you're a gigantic, you know hyperscaler and maybe you have the leverage, or if you're a finance firm and you can literally pay people five x student typical salary to to come to the office, like sure, those those companies might drive people in the office. They tend to be small, you know, human capital, you know, small with very well paid people. But for the everyone else, the truth is that the vast majority of our job can be done from our computer anywhere, right? Like, and I've been you know working on the internet for twenty years and. um one rule is that anything that can't be done over the internet will be done over the internet over enough time. Uh, you know, we thought selling books sounded crazy 20 years ago at much less selling cars and hiring people and working, you know, not fully from, you know, anywhere in the world. Right. But it, that's all come. So I'm not betting against that. I think you said it correctly. Like the world will be hybrid for some time to come, but the truth is that there are already large departments in companies that were already, already remote. Like we see this all the time. I mean, I talked to all these financial companies, big banks, and their IT departments have been remote and distributed for 20 years, right? They've been taking advantage of this. And so I just think that that will continue along an accelerated process. And, you know, any function that can be spread all over the world for various cost and resiliency reasons, it, it will it will be. How do you describe Kumo Space to somebody like, because it's not a Zoom, it's not a, you know, like some of these other products. And I think that's maybe the first thing that people maybe assume when you talk about, you know, virtual office and, and you know, kind of a, a kind of a video product. But what is it like? Is this a, is this a new category? Is this like... How easy or hard is it for people to understand? I mean, obviously, if they're watching these TikTok videos, probably they they get it quickly. But um, how how easy is it to 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 position and sort of articulate the message about Kumo Space to somebody if you're talking to them or or maybe looking at another platform? Yeah, I think you know that is one of the challenges. I think of a category creation, right? Is that you are trying to describe something that someone has never seen or experienced. We therefore don't try to sell features so much as, you know, sort of benefits or a new way of working. And um, the nice part is that all those things I just described to you, which I would say, visi- you know, visibility, accountability, collaboration, real-time collaboration, and kind of culture. So the reason you use a virtual office is actually the exact same reason that you might have returned to the physical office, right? It's to get those back those benefits and features. The only difference is that we are, you know, a software solution that costs a tenth as much and has all sorts of benefits like software, which is that you can remodel our office in a few minutes. You can add an additional floor 
for for zero dollars. You can get analytics about your team and who's around and who's connecting and uh, you know knowing who knows who uh, and who to ask the right question to instantly and a bunch of benefits that you could never get in, in a in a physical office. So I think that the world has been given this false dichotomy of okay, well you can either be really productive and you know, in an office, but miserable and have a commute and, you know, don't get to see your kids and see their soccer games, or, you know, you can have good lifestyle and, but you can't really get stuff done and you can't be productive and you can't be high performing. And and I think we just, you know, believe in a third way, which is waking up and uh, going surfing and then, you know, coming back and uh, being at your desk at 8.30 and, uh, you know, closing, closing that deal, right? I, I just don't see that you, it's not, Ray Dalio has a nice thing. He's like, yeah, anytime, you know, I was presented with two options I didn't like, I just looked for a third. Yeah. Love that. Now, aside from TikTok, how else are you acquiring customers today? What's, what's working for you? I think when we were talking a little bit earlier, you mentioned conferences. Like, is that, is that a way that you're, you, you use, you're, uh, you're acquiring customers today? We tried to get PR. We, we had, we had, hired you know three different pr agencies trying to figure out okay how help us you know how, how can we have someone help our get, get our word out get press this is a new innovative solution you know how do we get this and and honestly it was a disappointment every time you know they just a lot of talk a lot of creating empty documents and not getting anything done and then you know to my marketing team's credit uh you know true moffat heads our marketing and um, we've got some other great folks in there. Uh, you know, they just sort of took PR in house, and you know, PR is it's kind of a hustle game. And so, you know, we got pretty good at stacking our PR, so we would get one, you know, speaking gig, and then we would basically send that to a bunch of other anyone else that was having a conference. We get a list of conference people. Uh, people hosting conference, we built the conference, we'd reach out to all of them, then we'd reach out to everyone else who uh, was speaking at that conference and ask them if they had another, you know, if they needed someone else on the panel. And then once we get one, you know, speaking event, we would try to get another, you know, we get on another panel. And then once we were speaker, then we could reach out to all the other speakers and particularly the ones that are potentially interesting customers. And then we would set up meetings with them. And so whenever I go to a conference, I, we basically... My marketing and PR department is essentially acted as PDRs, and I go there and have thirty-minute meeting for eight hours. So you know, sixteen meetings a day for the conference, just lined up, and um, you know, then making sure that those get passed back to our you know sales team, and they can pick up the baton. And that is a you know, it took us a while to get there, but that is an effective way of running a conference. Uh, playbook. And then, you know, you kind of set up some dinners with prospective customers, you know, at, at, at night or a breakfast in the morning. And and for two days, that, that you get pretty good bang for your buck. You know, I think when most people think about events, we go into like, okay, do we need a booth? How are we going to promote our product and so on? But actually just thinking about it as a way just to set up meetings back to back, it sounds like so obvious when you think about it. I feel like, you know, people talk a lot about hustling and startup and I think hustling just means emailing people you don't know. <laughs> right, yeah. I want to talk about uh, product-led growth and your views on that, and then we will wrap up and get onto the lightning round. So 
yeah, I mean, I, I know we like you and I were having a little bit of a chat about PLG before we started recording. How, how do you think about that? How is it working for you in terms of Kumo space? I think product like growth is obviously amazing. It's been a bit idealized by the venture capitalists, you know, talking about it. And, you know, we all have Dropbox and Slack examples. But I think there's this false dichotomy between, okay, I'm either product led and the product is just selling itself. Or I'm sales led, and you know it's all outbound, and and you're driving pipeline. And the reality is, is with most things in business, it's not it's not so clean. And you know, I think we realize is like you know we have a highly viral product. We had people coming in, you know, from TikTok and marketing, and people signing up and using the product. And and so it's like you know very easy to say on the superficial level, oh, this is like a PLG product, right? But I would say we learned pretty quickly that. You know, Kumo Space is not a perfect PLG product for a number of reasons. We, you know, the end user might pick us up, but honestly, the sale goes through the team manager or a lead or VP or, you know, CIO or CEO or COO at a, at a smaller company. And so it's, you know, a bit of a top, it's a top down sale, right? So it's, I think true PLG product is like the end user uses it and is willing to pay for it themselves and put it on their card, you know, their personal credit card and their corporate credit card. And then you get a bunch of those and then, you know, you metastasize inside the business and then, you know, you try to roll up, right? Like, so I have pretty, I think a lot of people try to fit themselves in the PLG because that's what venture capitalists want. But in reality, that's actually not what they are. And so in our case, though, it's a, it's a hybrid. Right. In the sense that we are good at getting marketing distribution, we're good at getting in front of users, we're great at getting people to sign up for accounts. Right. But the question is, when does the sales motion begin? Right. And so, you know, we had to move where we put our sales touch points in our funnel. We had to, we tried all up and down our funnel before we settled in just the right place. You know, you know, we started off just building the product. And having sales bring in beta customers and drop them in. And we didn't even want to think about distribution because, you know, we just wanted to build a core product. Then we said, okay, we want to be PLG. So we're going to put sales at the very bottom underneath product. You know, once they basically have already signed up, you know, sales people will help them. It's like, well, that didn't work at all. Then we were like, okay, wait, maybe we need to, our sales assist uh, customers are, you know, spending more money and are higher than clothes. So we said, oh, well, let's just make it so you have to talk to sales. You can't even use the product before you come in. Well, that was a disaster because people didn't understand our product. Like for the reasons I said, they needed to at least see it before they even knew if they wanted to talk to sales. And so we realized that the perfect place for us was right after people create a account in Kubo Space, we realized that that was the best time to talk to them, but talk to them in Kubo Space, not with an email, not with a life cycle customer email, but actually go and meet them in our product. And so we call this drop-ins. And that's when people, you know, sign up for a space, a Kumo space. And when they're in their Kumo space, we get a little Slack notification. And then we drop, and then we see that. And then we send our BDR, well, actually a product specialist in, and he just knocks on their space, says, hey, you know, this is Phil from Kumo space, just checking in, seeing how you're, you know, enjoying your your Kumo space. Can we help you get set up? Is there any, are you having any challenges with that? And that is, you know, a very native channel. Again, you know, this is sort of product sales channel fit, right? And so it's like, what's the right 
channel and touch point for your salespeople to connect about your product. So it turns out for us, it's in the product, obviously. And uh, that took some time, but you know, it's been highly effective. Customers are very grateful when they're getting to get this personalized service, you know, right? Uh, even from a company that has millions of users. It feels like a bit of a strange experience. I mean, when you describe it, it sounds so obvious and again, so organic and, and, and natural. But then I wonder, like, if I was signing up for similar, let's go back to like Zoom, like people understand Zoom, right? And so if I was like signing up for Zoom and I get online and suddenly some dude at Zoom is trying to start a meeting with me, I'd just be like, what the? How, how have people reacted to, to that? I mean, look, it definitely felt uncomfortable to us too when we started. But the truth is that meeting people in your product, if you have their best intentions and you are trying to deliver value to them and you're trying to help them get the most value, you know, we have a new product because people have never seen it before, anything like it before. So like, of course, they're going to need help. Of course, it's, there's so much. Imagine setting up an office, a physical office. There's so much goes into that. It's not a one-man job, right? And so we got to provide the people who cared enough about us to sign up, create an account, create a space. We want to be there for them and give them as much support as possible. And so I think it all depends on the relationship that you that you have, you know, with your with your customer. And I think, you know, meeting them where they need the help is really the anecdote. And meeting them in the most natural way that your it shine, you know, makes your product shine, I think is what's important. Love it. Love it. Okay, we should uh, wrap up. Let's get on to the uh, lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. So just try to answer them as quickly as you can. What's one of the best pieces of business advice you've received? Time kills deals. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? Endurance, which is the story of Shackleton's failed attempt across the Antarctic, is uh, my recommended book if you are in a low time in your startup and you don't think you can go any further, break the glass and read endurance. Great recommendation. What's uh, one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Empathy for customers. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I think I have to say Kumos, but it's here, huh? Well, what's a new or crazy business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the time? I think that Generative AI for uh, new social applications to mediate, uh, not mediate, but enhance uh, connections between real humans is a big opportunity. I agree. Uh, what's uh, an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? I'm learning how to climb mountains, but I'm afraid of heights. <laughs> and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Uh, well, I'm calling you from Costa Rica, where uh, hopefully I will be surfing later today. I'm jealous. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Brett. It's been awesome. I know uh, it took a little bit of time and effort for both of us to get this set up. So uh, I'm grateful that we were eventually able to do it and have this conversation. If people want to learn more about Kumo Space, they can go to kumospace.com. And uh, if you want to check out Charge, you can go to charge.vc. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, just hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, reference uh, over his podcast. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Uh, I wish you and the team the best of success and uh, enjoy the surfing. Thank you, sir. Uh, wishing you the same and uh, let's get after in 2024. Cheers. <laughs>
Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? JotForm Tables is a solution you've been looking for. JotForm Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and JotForm Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your JotForm forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But JotForm Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative with conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 250 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million-dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.